Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Strangely and Friends, the podcast. It's me, Strangely. <laughs> I, I still haven't really figured out if I'm going to have some sort of opening monologue catchphrase or whatever. In any case, welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. You know, I kind of like the conspiracy theory that they released the horribly designed Sonic the Hedgehog in those trailers as a clever marketing ploy, and when the real movie comes out, it'll be better. There, I've commented on something in the current zeitgeist. Now, let us speak of it no more. It's official. We're now on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever they've rebranded it as this month. If you're listening to me through that service, please leave a review or drop me some stars. I feel like I'm in a video game desperate to collect all the stars. I'm also now streaming on Himalaya, if that's where you like to listen to podcasts, and also Stitcher, which is another podcast thing. I don't know, I just used the thing that came with my phone, but apparently there's all these other places. If you prefer to listen to podcasts on things like uh, YouTube or uh, Spotify or whatever, I could probably figure those out too. So let me know in the comments below wherever you're listening to this if you want me to post things elsewhere. I am really excited about this week's episode. It's our first international guest, my friend Debbie Petey, a comedian from Scotland, was in... Bellingham for just a couple of days and she was nice enough to come up to my studio and chat so we got to hang out and have lunch together and walk around Seattle a little bit and then I got to ask her some questions about being a comedian in Scotland and sort of her take on comedy and what comedians she likes it was a lot of fun and I'm really excited for you folks to hear that chat but for now let's move on to our first segment Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who? Who imposed this rule? Wait, does this aside count? Fiddlesticks! Bravest Warriors. This show should not work for me as well as it does. I've sort of fallen off the animation bandwagon over the past half decade, but darn if this doesn't bring it all back. To describe this show, the first two seasons of which are available for free on YouTube, would be a disservice. It's a confusing gumbo of sci-fi, fantasy, YA drama, and obtuse wordplay. The resultant mixture is a delightful combination that somehow rises above its own deceptively simple presentation. Think Adventure Time, but weirder. Way, way weirder. Only 83 words left. Much like Venture Brothers' comedic backfill world-building, this show has way more going on than would at first be apparent. I'm at a loss to determine who this show is for. It's not for kids, that's for certain. But then again, everything is cloaked in innuendo. I mean, come on, they refer to sexual activity as sassy no-nos. What's not to like? This is my current favorite cartoon show not featuring H. John Benjamin. Check it out. Six extra words, including this one. This is my interview with my friend Debbie Peary. I have to confess, I'm still sort of learning the ropes of interviewing people, and I don't always ask the best questions, but I think you'll really enjoy this chat that Debbie and I had. So here's my chat with Debbie Petey. 
for folks who are listening to this podcast who do not know you as well as I do, can you sort of introduce yourself? Like, what do you do in the world? That's a really broad question. I'm sorry. Just, just sort of, I know you, you act, you do comedy, just sort of introduce that. Okay. So, uh, I'm a Scottish based actor, uh, sometimes comedian and sometimes illustrator. That's my newest thing. Um, and I mostly work with small grassroots companies, uh, producing plays of all kinds. Uh, but I'm particularly interested in female-driven stories and uh, dark comedy. And I'm just starting to learn how to do some illustration stuff, so mostly looking at funny stuff and uh, children's illustration. Something I'd really like to get into, but that's all very new, up-and-coming, sort of. Yeah. So that's me. Live in Edinburgh. It's nice. Come visit. And you're from where? I'm from the northeast of Scotland, uh, a place in northern Aberdeenshire, which uh, uh, you're smiling at me because it has a whole interesting accent and dialect to itself, which uh, I'm not as broad anymore, having gone through drama school. <laughs> I'm a much more neutralised accent, but it's a... It's a great one. It has all lots of its own words and uh, a brilliant history behind it. You were you you we were at the we were at drinks last night and you you did like you there was one sentence that you you said how to say it in uh, in Dordrecht and it's uh, where where are you from? Yeah. So if you're gonna ask somebody where do they live, uh-huh. you would say "Far bites do you bite?" <laughs> so we have you know far is where. And it would be like about sort of boots. I, I say abouts, but somewhere from somewhere else in Aberdeenshire might say abouts. For abouts, do you bide? It's all kind of, you can kind of work it out if you break it down. Um, my most Doric sentence of all is, uh, which means, what is wrong with your dead or fallen over sheep? <laughs> I always like, that's always like my most Doric sentence of all time, I think. Um, it's a great it's a great dialect and I it's got a lot of it's had some resurgence you know people are starting to try to use it more in education which I think is great because it's very clever the way as a as a sort of dialect language it's a very clever language yeah whenever I've heard you like say things in it or some of the other um people from Aberdeen that I've encountered over the years going to Edinburgh Fringe like it's a very lovely thing and I, yes. I know that it's such a stereotype that whenever people from the UK come over to the United States, people here are just falling all over themselves over the accents. Like, it's like, oh my goodness, like that sounds so beautiful. But there is a, there's sort of a stereotype that the Scots accent is like very difficult to understand and it's like very harsh, you know. And I think a lot of that is Americans hear one Glaswegian and they're like, that's all Scots. <laughs> Yeah, you watch Train Spotting once. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in reality, there's all these different variations within, even just the Scots accent, and then the the Doric, which like has like all these like Germanic sounding words too. It's just like yes, and even in Doric, um, so I 
I went to uni with a few people from Aberdeenshire, but mm-hmm. I was from the furthest north. Uh, a friend of mine was from Stonehaven, which is south of Aberdeen. Um, I'm 50 miles north of Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. He's maybe 10 miles south. And our Doric accents are quite different. And the way he speaks it is quite different from how I speak it. So even just within that, what, 60, 60 70 miles, it's, it is different. And you find that every town has its own little words or its own little variations elongating something shortening other things it's for such a small country with only five million people it has such a variety of speeches and sounds as well as culture and yeah i like i like where i live can you tell yeah well i mean there's there's a lot going on there And, and as a performer you have access to the largest gathering of performance artists annually yes in your hometown so you, I met you because you were in a comedic play. It's like, it was like an hour-long sketch. It was like one long-form sketch play. We never quite figured out how to define it, but yeah. And I, I mean, I, the, the play, which was called Fuck Boys for Freedom. Yeah, that's Fuck Boys, one word. Fuck Boys for Freedom. Um. It, it did. It did have the feeling of just sort of like an hour-long comedy sketch that kept having more and more bits piled on. But I think what, why I have such fond memories of it is that it sustained being funny. It's something that, like, you go to Edinburgh Fringe sometimes and you see a show where the concept is really funny. You know, they're like, what if zombies worked for the National Tax Service or something like that? But then, you know, about 10 minutes in, you're like, okay, the one big joke has played out and we're not going anywhere else with this. Whereas when I saw that show, I felt like it kept... I was laughing the whole time, so it it worked on that level at least. Yeah, I mean, it was predominantly a kind of satire on toxic masculinity. Uh, kind of written before that was as much talked about as it is now. Uh, and although we did do quite a bit of devising for that one that year, uh, it was mostly... The idea was uh, kind of formed by my very funny friend James Hughes, um, as well as a few other people. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there was, uh, like a circle of fuckboys, a kind of, and there were dragons, there was Kanye West, there was a lot going on. I was the wizard friend zone as well as the narrator and I will always have, I got a beard and I'm always, you know, I, I always say that I'm sad that I don't have the option of a beard and I mean that quite genuinely. So when I got to wear one with a snapback, there was many snapbacks. Many dildos. It was a, it was a big show, uh, done on a very small budget. Over the years, I have attempted to occasionally describe the show, mm. and I just, I always utterly fail. But I mean, I, that was when I first saw you. But like getting to know you, you are passionately dedicated to these like women's narratives. And you were telling me last night a little bit about that show that you had that really deep part that you really enjoyed doing. What was that show? Yeah, so last year uh, I was involved in a show that was written by another really good friend of mine uh, and another small theatre company called Storyboard Theatre. Um, it was written by my friend James Ball, which was a play that looked at the Scottish suffragette movement, which, I mean, I grew up learning a little about the suffragette movement, but it always focused on the Pankhursts and things like that, and it never really looked at the Scottish suffragette movement. And 
The play follows the life of a woman called Fanny Parker, who was the niece of Lord Kitchener, um, which aided her and made it more of a struggle in some ways. I loved that play. It was shown to very few people and it was a very tight budget. My very talented friend Grace Gilbert made all of our costumes, including a floor length skirt that tied around at the waist for me that uh, when you opened it out on the inside became a banner. Uh, I can't remember what it said. I think it said deeds not words, which is one of the very famous slogans. It was brilliant because there was music, I got to play my fiddle, there was singing, I got to stretch all my acting muscles and it told the story of this incredible woman and how unbelievably hard people fought just to be seen. And at the end we kind of went through um, a timeline of women getting the vote. And of course, only some women got the vote. Um, we went through that, making sure that as many people were as included as possible, starting with things like Deeds Not Words. And by the end, we had banners from like WASPy and more current movements, you know, making sure that <clears throat> it was inclusive feminism that we were talking about um, by the end. But it was a really brilliant project that I wish had got more traction and I would love to see get more traction in the future, whether I'm involved in it or not, but I definitely would be again. I'm not familiar with WASPy. What is that? Is that an acronym? It is an acronym. Women Against State Pension Inequality. It's a voluntary-based UK organisation founded in 2015 that campaigns against the way in which the state pension age for men and women was equalised. Uh, that was among, there was a few different things that we had and they were all, as much as it might not sound it now, it was a year ago, they were all very well researched when, when we put it on. Um, yeah, that was just the project I've been most passionate about for a while. Although, you said something earlier, I find it very hard to find things that I'm not interested in. So, on that on that note, you also do stand up comedy, which is, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot more female comics sort of rise to prominence with the internet age because things can find their audiences, whether or not some suit at a desk says that an audience wants to see it. There, are the 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 types of tastemakers that are out there are very different now because anyone can film themselves and put it up on YouTube. So we have seen more female comics in the last decade or so, but it's still very much like kind of a boys club genre of performance. And yet you do stand up. I do. Uh, I would say, I would say I've dipped my toe into stand up. I really love it, but I find that I kind of I did quite a lot of gigs for a while and then I, I kind of found myself having to step back. I don't know if, there was a lot of things that went into that. The Scottish comedy circuit is a very friendly one for the most part. Um, but yes, it is still a boys club. I once did eight gigs in a row where I was the only woman on the bill and there's been quite a few women that I know are great comics, but I haven't necessarily seen them because if I'm on, they're probably not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, this, there is a lot of absolutely brilliant stand-up comedy going on in the UK at the minute. And I find that the more, 
I find that if I'm the only woman on the bill, I'm immediately other. And that might be me getting that into my head, but the audience also, you're different. It might not be bad or good, but naturally an audience goes, oh, this is different before you've even opened your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I, and that can be really jarring, especially if maybe the night isn't as comfortable as you'd want it to be anyway. You know, if it's been quite a tense gig so far, being something different, it only takes one guy in the audience to be like, which I have had when I've said like one line about, I can't even remember what it was. It was a vaguely womany thing. And he just went, oh my God, really? <laughs> and I audibly heard, he was like in the front row and I just kind of looked at him and I was like, oh great, okay, so, so this bit's done then. <laughs> right, okay, move on, let's do the next bit. Uh, because it's just, sometimes it's totally worth trying to get people back from that and sometimes you can sometimes you can go someone once corrected me on my grammar at a gig uh a guy in his 40s uh i used the wrong whose or whom and he corrected me as a heckle but i was comparing a gig for a women's aid charity and it was an entirely female lineup and it just it didn't go well for him. It just really <laughs> didn't go well for him. Uh, and that was that was quite funny. But yeah, I mean, I could... I have so many brilliant female comic recommendations for Edinburgh Fringe, but also just in general, that I'm more than happy to give to people. Because people, the more we see... It's like, see what you can be, right? The more we see, the more we always get told that, oh, there's not enough women want to come and do it. So we have to have seven men and one woman. And I'm like, okay, right. So we need to get more women trying it out without feeling too intimidated. I find gong shows really intimidating for that reason. Anything that makes you different. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it means you'll do badly by any stretch, but I find it intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to find ways of making those things feel less intimidating. I, I came up through sort of the variety show, mm. kind of gong show type circuit where you only have five minutes or sometimes less or sometimes someone will cut you off if you're not absolutely destroying from second one. And, you know, I was not a woman coming up through those things. I didn't have that additional sort of strangeness coming into a room where there are all these dudes making these, you know, where it's like this boys club where kind of a thing. I was just new. That was my only disadvantage in a lot of these situations. And that was intimidating as hell. So I can only imagine then that, that thing. And, you know, people make these arguments about like, well, you got to have a thick skin to be a performer or whatever. But at the same time, just from my personal observation of sort of the performers that I've seen come up in over the time that I've come up is that there are, yes, you have to have a thick skin, but there are plenty of people who demand thick skins of others in situations where it's not necessary. And it's kind of like what you're describing is just this idea that like, 
if a night has an all female lineup of of performers or, or femme performers, I guess not necessarily yeah, female, but, yeah. but femme presenting, it's it's a special thing. You know, it's like a women's charity fundraiser. Yeah. Whereas if a night is all blokes, it's not like, oh, you must be raising money for prostate cancer. Yes, yeah, that is the norm. Mm -hmm. And then anything else is different. I always really wanted to do like kind of like guerrilla targeting where it's it's an all-female lineup and nobody says a word. You know, like, mm -hmm. you don't tell anybody. Or the, a femme presenting uh, lineup and um, nobody says anything. You just do it and see how many people get mad about it at the end. I've had plenty of people come up to be comedy clubs. Like, cause I, I did sketch comedy probably more than I did stand up. I did sketch for quite a while. And there's been a couple of nights where it was just myself and another friend of mine who uh, was a woman. Um, and guys, definitely a drunk Welshman once coming up to us before we'd even done anything, just the we were on the lineup and was like, oh, right. So, uh, so are you going to be funny then? And we were both like, well, that was the plan. Uh, and he's like, well, I'll be, I'll be watching. I'll be listening. You better be funny. And we were just like, oh, good. <laughs> but th that ended up actually being a very fun gig. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, you get a lot of that. But yeah. So as we're sort of winding this down, I'm sorry. I just like, like we've all had that audience member who's like, so you, you gonna juggle? It's like, well, that's what's in the pile here. But like, it just especially seems stupid to ask a female stand-up comic. Like, I don't know why that seems especially stupid to me. Cause it's like, well, somebody thought I was good enough to put me on this state. Like I've been vetted at least once and you, you're just, you just paid to get in here. So your opinion doesn't, like no one's asking you. Or like even a lot of the time, you didn't pay to get in here. Like, there's a fantastic comedy club in Edinburgh called Monkey Barrel, who their fringe lineup is unbelievable this year. But they do a lot of nights that are free for students or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you didn't even pay to get in and you're still asking those questions. And I'm like, simmer down. Like, just sit down, simmer down, watch it and laugh. Because you will if you just let... If you let the people on stage do their thing, you will really enjoy yourself. But, yeah. So, as we're, as we're, as we're wrapping this up, sorry, I'm just, it's so funny. Uh, some, a, a, a female comic or femme comic that you find really inspiring that people who listen to this could find on, on YouTube or Amazon or something like that has, a something that people can find. Of course I must give you two. I can only, I can never just do one. Uh, these are, uh, Ashling B is quite an established Irish comic who I love and have followed for quite a few years. Um, she she talks about uh, where she's from in such a brilliant way. It's so specific, but so... Um, like, she lets everybody in. You, you get it. You totally empathise with it. But at the same time, it's so specific to where she grew up. And she's a very, very funny woman. And uh, you can find her stand-up. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's got something on Netflix. And she's usually doing something on the BBC. And also she's always on 
eight out of ten cats does countdown or eight out of ten cats and she's kind of I believe I'm sure there were other people involved but she was definitely behind making sure that that was a equal male to female lineup mm-hmm. um, for the last couple of seasons she's fantastic and also you can find less of her uh, online but she has podcasts and there I believe will be her show coming out at some point on um, a platform Kitty Pritchard McLean uh, I went to see her show at the Fringe last year Lemonade oh my uh, no <laughs> the badges were Lemonade and the show was called Victim Complex and I cried and laughed and oh my gosh if you can get to see her please please get to see her um, I just think she's fantastic she's a brilliant well um Welsh comic based in Manchester. Um, I would also like to give one last shout out, if I may, to someone who is one of my favourite comics that is a big part of the Scottish stand-up scene, uh, Liam Withnail. His show will be on um, and he was another of my favourite shows last year. So, Brilliant. I just put my thumbs up on a podcast. Uh, yeah. That's some quality audio content right there. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks. If you want to find out more about Debbie, you can follow her on Instagram. It's at Debbie, D-E-B-I, Kate, K-A-T-E. So that's D-E-B-I-K-A-T-E. Here's a thought. Is there a word or expression for coming back to something you've watched before, but now there's an actor you're a huge fan of and you recognize them, whereas before they were just that one role? I'll give you an example. Back in 2006, I was back in my hometown during Christmas break from uni. I was mostly hiding from my parents and partying with my friends from high school, some of whom had moved into the coolest apartment ever. At least, I thought so at the time. At some point that December, we ended up at a movie theater and watched Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny. The film was hilarious, all the more so because we were stoned off of our cheese wagons. The film has a moment where the boys play an open mic and the MC of the open mic does a hilarious introduction for them. I remember how hard I laughed at the bit, and it was even funnier when the MC morphed into the devil incarnate played by Dave Grohl. Now I could go on and on about the celebrity cameos in that film, there are many and most are spot on, but that open mic host stayed with me for years. Five years in fact, because that was when my friend Sarah Shea, my co-host from Pilot House, burned a CD for me. The content? A playlist of her favorite bits by a stand-up comedian named Paul F. Tompkins. Maybe it was the fact that I listened to it on an airplane, but I could not stop laughing so hard I was crying. Thankfully, he proved to be just as funny on the ground. I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of PFT content and found out he often appeared on podcasts, including his own. Nice. A couple of years after that, I watched Pick of Destiny again, and suddenly the MC bits were even funnier than before. Now that hilarious open mic MC was also Paul F. Tompkins. So, is there a word for that? I need more coffee. Hokey Fright, have you heard about Dark Magic? A 2012 urban fantasy book by James Swain. Wow, this was disappointing, and I can't stop thinking about it. The logline for this sounds right up my alley. Stage mentalist and magician Peter Warlock has a secret. His powers are real! 
Now he's in a race against time to stop a terrorist attack on New York City. Unfortunately, this book failed to live up to my admittedly pretty meager expectations. Look, I'm going to spoil parts of this because, frankly, it's not good. One of the things you're going to learn about me if you're a regular listener to this podcast is that I tend to finish things even though they're often not that good. Such was the case here. So, it turns out Peter is the host of one of the devil's literal sons, and when he gets angry, the demon comes out. There's an ongoing subplot where other psychics with magical abilities, including a childhood friend who has unrequited love for him, oh, she's so cute, are constantly doing everything they can to prevent him from getting angry. That's right. It's a narrative that hinges around making a man happy so he doesn't get angry and smash all the things. At least with Bruce Banner, he was actively trying to control his rage and find an equilibrium with it. No dice with Peter Warlock. Late in the book, he's given a chance to allow the demon into his life forever, and he gladly re-ups, thinking he'll sort it out later. The city is in danger, after all. Except, at that point, it's actually just him and his girlfriend that are in danger. Meanwhile, he's been having problems with said girlfriend. She's just found out that he has magic powers and is... understandably uncomfortable. Except, Swain doesn't seem to know how to write a woman feeling troubled by new revelations in a relationship. Peter's girlfriend is beautiful, smart, dedicated to realizing his artistic dreams, and Asian. A fact which has no bearing on the proceedings, but is mentioned several times like it will. She oscillates like a weather vane in a hurricane between shouting and weeping and whispering words of love to him. He even reads her mind at one point to determine that though angry and shouting, she'd do anything for him. Forever. Don't worry though, childhood friend finds out her aunt has a magic locket and uses it to erase girlfriend's memory so that Peter has a second chance. Yep, magical gaslighting. Ugh, I'm getting myself so worked up about this. It's not my intention to use this segment to dunk on works I think are terrible, but I also do want to shine a light on things that are less seen even if I'm sometimes warning folks away. Neither am I seeking to bring the hammer of social justice down on what is clearly meant to just be a diverting thriller, but frankly, I'm not even sure who this is supposed to be for. Like, it gets really technical about some of the magician stuff, which is fun if you're into magician stuff, but the rules of the real magic are all over the place and very unclear. So, you have highly technical descriptions of how someone disappears from a stage and yet very like hand-wavy explanations as to why Peter can sometimes float and then it just ends like there's no denouement everything gets reset to zero and the hero's troubles are shunted to what I assume will be a long-running series of books that I will not read I think I know how some of my friends felt upon learning that Sherlock Holmes and Mary Russell end up doing the sassy no-nos. Yeah, I'm going to use that phrase on the reg. Get used to it. Ugh, look, I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. Song of the Week. Sailing in the Boat. Number 13 from Alan Lomax's The Folk Songs of North America. This was originally from Games and Songs of American Children by W.W. W. Newell, published by Harper Brothers New York in 1883. 
This is a song that also apparently was known in England and the Bahamas prior to that. The descriptive text that comes with the song sort of talks about how people used to have kitchen parties that they called kitchen junkets in colonial and early uh, American Republic. Once America became a nation, so the colonial times and then also post-revolutionary war, people would clear out their kitchens and like spread cornmeal or sawdust on the floor and have these dance parties in them. And then at midnight, they would have like uh, refreshments, like a light, you know, sort of dessert and drinks and things and then party again until like four or five a.m. Like I thought I went hard if I was up until two or three. These people would party without electricity, without unce-unce music, until 4 or 5 in the morning. And then you could, if you were a lady, you could ask a young fellow to walk you home. And it was very societally important that you always have the same fellow walk you home. (laughs) Otherwise, you'd be known as Jenny who likes the boys. Which, great! Go ahead and like the boys, Jenny. I support you. No slut shaming here. Anyway, this is Sailing in the Boat. Sailing in the boat when the tide runs high. Sailing in the boat when the tide runs high. Sailing in the boat when the tide runs high. Waiting for the pretty girls to come on by. Here she comes so fresh and fair. Sky blue eyes and curly hair. Rosy in cheek, dimple on her chin. Say young man, but you can't come in. Rose in the garden for you, young man. Rose in the garden for you, young man. Rose in the garden, get it if you can. Just take care, it's not a frostbitten one. Here she comes, so fresh and fair. Sky blue eyes and curly hair. Rosy in cheek, dimple on her chin. Say, young man, but you can't come in. Choose your partner, well, stay till day. Choose your partner, well, stay till day. Choose your partner, well, stay till day. Just don't mind what the old folks say. Here she comes, so fresh and fair. Sky blue eyes and curly hair. Rosy in cheek, dimple on her chin. Say, young man, but you can come in. So fresh 
fresh and fair Sky blue eyes and curly hair Rosy in cheek, dimple on her chin Say young man, but you can come in Here she comes so fresh and fair Sky blue eyes and curly hair Rosy in cheek, dimple on her chin Say young man, but you can't come in Mailbag. I'm so excited. The Strangely and Friends, the podcast mailing address, just got our very first piece of mail. And this is from Sarah Shea. Sarah Shea was the guest on the very first episode of this podcast. And she sent me a really great postcard that says, thanks for having me as a guest on your podcast. Here's a mailbag question for you. What's your favorite fun thing to do in Bellingham? Funny you should ask, because my friend Debbie, who you heard from earlier in the episode, was visiting Bellingham for a day or two, and I got to show her around a little bit, and we went and tasted mead at Honeymoon, which is just tops. I I love Honeymoon, and they make great mead. If you've never tasted mead and you find yourself in Bellingham, Washington, Go check out Honeymoon. <laughs> They're not a sponsor or anything. I just really like their mead. Uh, Debbie and I also went out for breakfast at a place called Arliss, which is a classic Americana greasy spoon. No frills. They're not even trying to be anything in particular. The decor on the walls is just a mishmash of stuff people have kind of hung up every once in a while. There's there's no curation. It's amazing. I also really like there's one particular antique shop in Bellingham and it's called Penny Lane slash Aladdin's it's actually two antique shops stacked one on top of the other if you like going to museums but you know you're on a budge just go look around an antique store somewhere antique stores are like museums that are free to get in and the exhibits are always changing it's It's one of my favorite things to do. So those are some of my uh, Bellingham (laughs) recommendations, I guess. But there are antique stores everywhere. So go check that out. Thank you so much for sending this postcard, Sarah. Oh, I almost forgot. The the other side of the postcard is a diagram of different styles of beards, including the imperial, the square, and the pointed. I will probably post a photo of this on my Instagram so you folks can see it too. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sending in this postcard, and I hope other folks will send in mail. If you've got a question for the podcast, or you've got a piece of weird taxidermy you're trying to get rid of, or an extra $100 bill, you can send that stuff to, strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225, number 21. I look forward to hearing from you. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is produced at Sonic Suitcase Studios in fairly fine Fairhaven, Washington. Sonic Suitcase Studios is located in the Morgan Block Building, part of the People's Land Trust. This podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can help me make more of... whatever this is. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.
Do you have a joke for us? I knew you were gonna ask this, and uh, yeah, I'm really bad at going at finding jokes that are like setup punchline, but um, I would say uh, the way I get out of something bad happening on stage is to say something ridiculous, and at the minute it is. Um, I like to eat beetroot when I'm on my period, just to add to the drama. <laughs> uh, which is true. It's a true thing.